Psalm 136 reads, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so we give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Lord, we hear these words and we see your beauty, we see your kingship, the, the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings who reigns and rules. And so we come to you worshiping you as such. But we, we also want to recognize that though you rule over history, though you are the King of kings, you have also come near to us. Your steadfast love endures forever. You are not a, a cold and distant God. You are a God who draws near to a people like us who are weak, a people like us in a low estate. And you have decided to welcome us into your realm of love. And so we praise you for that. Lord, I do lift up those who are here right now, even in this moment, who do not sense your steadfast love that endures forever. They do not sense that you are the loving king of all kings and lord of all lords. And I pray that you would work in their hearts so that they might have a more accurate view of you and have a better understanding of your love so that they can anticipate the day when we will enter into your presence and experience your love in all of its purity. Lord, I pray for those who are in uh, Kentucky and Missouri and Illinois and Tennessee, who right now feel the weightiness of this broken creation. We pray for the saints who are unable to meet today and gather. And we pray that you would be at work among them. Help them right now to Show your love to a watching world even as they mourn loss, even as they face the realities of this world, the brokenness and the hurt and the pain. Lord, we pray that you would see them through this so that they might offer the hope of salvation to the world and, and give the world a glimpse of a God who is loved his people with a steadfast love even in the midst of trials and uncertainty and chaos and destruction. And we pray that in our midst this morning that you would be at work as we hear your word and strive to know you better than we already do. And we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm one of our pastors here. I, I work with our ministry called Kairos, which is our young adult ministry here at the church. I want to I begin with a quick announcement about our giving platform here at the church because our giving platform is going to change. But before I do that, I want to remind all of you why this is actually something for us to be interested in. Remember, 
Uh, we are in a church that gives uh, so that Christ may be exalted. And I, I will say that my experience here has been that. It's been a joy to be able to be a part of a church that is so sacrificial in its giving, uh, to be a part of a church where you see people generously giving of their resources, generously giving of their time, generously giving of their finances. And so all of this uh, has been done here in this church so that Christ can be exalted, so that our community can, can know that, that there is a God who cares for a broken people. So as we're thinking through a tedious announcement like this, remember the, the joy of giving as a people who want to make God known. Uh, if you remember back to COVID, the bulk of our people here during that time switched over to automated online giving. And so this, if, if you are in that boat, this does apply to you because we are changing the platform from which we receive online reoccurring gifts. So you've probably gotten an email from Matt Lavalier. That's not spam. That is uh, an email that was meant to be sent out. Uh, you don't need to be worried that, you know, someone hacked our database or something like that. Um, we're just asking uh, that everyone would switch over from our old system, which was uh, a system called Fellowship One, to a new one that's called PushPay. And so that, that is going to help us in a number of ways. And so we, we're asking that you would, you would go through that. It only takes a couple of minutes to switch your info over to the new platform. And just so you're aware, it's going to be about a 60-day process for us to get everything moved over. And so we'd, we'd ask that during, that, see, that during this season of like in between, that you would go ahead and do that. And if you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to the church and we can try to answer, answer those questions for you. Okay, we are continuing our Advent series this morning. And whenever we enter into this season, I, I want to remind you that we actually have the opportunity to reflect on Christ's first coming as we anticipate the second coming of Christ. This is a season, an, an annual season, where we can intentionally practice the art of waiting. Because we live in a culture where we can experience immediate gratification for basically any desire, any want, any need, uh, we need to recognize that there is something uh, about the Christian faith that requires us to be good waiters, even though the, the culture around us pushes us to, to pursue immediate gratification at all, uh, in all aspects of life. Think about it. There are opportunities for pleasures all around us, and they're available at our fingertips. They're offered nearly every moment. The opportunity for this, this immediate gratification can lead us then to forget about that for which we wait. And that's where the danger comes into play. We are inundated with these constant opportunities to partake in these sorts of forms of pleasure. And, and, and there's all sorts of opportunities in front of us. We live in a beautiful world with amazing uh, technology where we can enjoy things Immediately, whenever we want to. So if you really wanted to, you could actually get online and, and book a ticket to Hawaii tomorrow. You might like lose your job for doing that, but you could do it. You could get in your car right after this service, or right now you could get up and leave, and you could drive 30 minutes, and you could go eat a meal prepared by a world-class chef. 
If you want to buy something that will make life easier, you, you don't even have to go to the store to purchase it. You just get on your computer and you go to Amazon. And you can even get like next day delivery. Or you could before the whole supply chain crisis. But, but herein comes the point. Like we recognize the fact that things aren't showing up next day anymore. It's taking like two or three or four days. And it's like interrupting life. That itself speaks to this immediate gratification that we have at our fingertips. And when, when it comes to our technology, this situation is, is magnified all, all around us, all the time. I can shop from home. I don't even have to go to the movies. Like, I can watch movies that are still in the theater. I might have to pay a couple extra dollars, but I can still watch them. I don't have to go to the theaters. I mean, one of the craziest aspects of our modern technology is this whole development of virtual reality where these tech giants are essentially trying to make it possible for us to travel like with friends in a different realm. And all we have to do is like put on this goofy looking headset and it can feel as though like I'm in this paradise with my friends, even though in reality I'm sitting on my couch in my pajamas. But that's the sort of gratification, that's the sort of pleasure that's on offer in our world right now. And so when we have so many different opportunities to experience new and exciting things, we have to be careful not to be subtly lulled into a state of indifference as we consider the more reality things, the, the things of God, the things that are worth waiting for. Why wait for a new realm of existence? I can put on my headset and experience it now. Right? That's the pull, that's the draw, that's the temptation. And what God is saying is that we need to learn to wait. We must grow in our ability to wait well, which is why this Advent season is so beneficial. It's so helpful for us. This is a season where we can train our hearts to wait for the Lord. And so far as we've considered this season of waiting, we've looked at it in regards to faith and hope. This morning, we're gonna transition to looking at the Advent season through the lens of love. And so as we enter God's word, we are going to look at the love of God from three vantage points. First, we will look at God's eternal love of God. God's eternal love of God. And that is a, a type of love that has always existed. God is love and he was love in eternity past. And that's where we're going to look at first is in that concept of God's love in eternity past. Second, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's unrivaled love for mankind. And here we're going to, to look specifically at Christ's incarnation, his first coming to earth. And we're going to consider God's love in that act. Finally, we will look at God's unbuffered love in heaven. And that's when we're going to turn our gaze towards the future and consider the fact that we will one day enter into God's eternal presence of love. Again, we're going to look at God in eternity past and then specifically in the incarnation, the coming of Christ, and then we're going to look forward. So let's start by going backwards Let's begin our time by looking at God's eternal love of God. See, to understand love properly, we need to understand its source. 
Any discussion about love must begin with the origin of love, namely God himself. Love is not something that is self-defined. We don't come up with love. God is the standard. He's the origin of love. He is the source of love. And the reason that all of this is the case is because love is essential to God's very nature. It's part of him. Everything he does is done in love. Every aspect of his character is engulfed in this nature of love. I want to point your attention to 1 John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Starting in verse 7. Here's what we read. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here we see that we are to love others with the love that comes from God. And then we see the reason love comes from God is because God is in his very nature, love. That is a statement for us to ponder. I mean, I mean, consider this for a moment. When we talk about God, we are talking about the very source of, of love itself. And, and when, we, when we read here that God is love, this actually speaks to God's constant state of existence. He is always love. He has always been love. He is currently love. And he will always be love. Because his nature is stable. He does not change. His character doesn't doesn't shift or morph. And so we need to think through this for a moment. And I I want us to do a deep dive into this idea because sometimes cliche verses like this can be thrown around flippantly and never really explained and we're left thinking that feels good but I don't actually know what it means. So as we consider this thought of God's love, again, I want to turn our attention to eternity past because this is going to really set the stage. It's going to help us understand this entire context of what it means for God to be love. You see, it's striking to think that God has always been love even before there was a creation to love. Think about this. It's not the case that God began to love the moment he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. I don't know about you, but for me personally, when I think of God's love, I tend to think first and foremost about God's love for human beings. God loves me. God loves you, right? And and that's true. God does love people. He does love me. He does love the, the body of saints who are gathered together right now worshiping him. And yet, God's nature of love has no beginning. So this means that he was love even before any of us ever came onto the scene. Genesis 1, we read that the world was formless and void before God spoke the creation into its existence. The world was not lovely at that point. There was no world for, any, for God to actually love in the first place. 
You see, when we read that God is love, again, we must understand that this means he is always love because he does not change. He doesn't shapeshift. He's not moody. And herein lies one of the primary differences between us and God. The creation versus the creator. It's the fact that we change. God remains the same. There's this funny kid's book that many of you have probably read if you have children, and it's called The Mixed Up Chameleon. It's about this chameleon who goes to the zoo, and he has this ability to shapeshift, and so he sees an elephant, and he kind of shifts into the, the elephant, and then he goes and he sees a flamingo, and he shifts into like the looks of a flamingo, and then he sees a sea walrus, does, a sea lion does the same thing, and so on and so forth it goes, right? Until finally you reach the end of the book and he realizes, what, like, I am all mixed up because I have morphed and sh- uh, shape-shifted so many times that I don't know who I am anymore, right? That, th- this is like a children's story that's actually teaching something fundamental to us as human beings. We have this tendency, the propensity to change. And it's actually part of our very nature, we will fluctuate from one mood to another. We will go from one emotion to another. We get sick, we get hungry, we break bones, we change. But God is different. God never changes. When we read that God is love, it again applies that he is always love. There's a theologian named Augustine, St. Augustine, He speaks to this reality. He he looks at God's eternal love and he he makes some really helpful conclusions. In fact, Jonathan Edward, or sorry, St. Augustine, he was a pastor in the fifth century. Outside of Jesus and and the, the, the Christians who wrote the New Testament, it's hard to find any Christian who's been more influential on the church. And one of his most helpful influences upon the church was around this very topic. But he's looking at the Trinity and talking about how God's love and the Trinity are related. You see, God exists as one essence and three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet the three are distinct. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. And so even with that said, you're probably thinking, well, okay, this is already getting a little bit complicated. but, but Augustine, he goes on like a deep dive and he writes an entire book about this uh, in his book called On the Trinity. One of the most interesting aspects of the book is where he starts to talk about God's love and his Trinitarian nature. In fact, he goes so far as to say in order for love to exist in the first place, you must have three entities. A love, lover, love itself, and something to be loved. And you're probably thinking, okay, we're, we're getting a little deep. So hang with me, hang with me. Augustine here, what he's pointing out is he's drawing this connection between love and its essence and the Trinity. And he's saying in order for God to have always been love, he must have always existed as a Trinity. You have these three entities, the lover, the love itself, and that which is loved. And he points out that God the Father pours out his love through the Holy Spirit onto the beloved Son of God. And he's done this throughout all of eternity. So throughout the infinite timescape of of eternity's past, the love of God was made manifest 
in the members of the Trinity. As I mentioned earlier, God didn't start loving when he created Adam. He didn't need you or or me to come onto the scene in order to start loving. He was perfectly content in and of himself, in his eternal love. He's perfectly sufficient, perfectly content in himself. And yet, he has decided to pour out his love on human beings. Now, before we move on to our next point, I want to reflect on a detail that comes out here in 1 John 4. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to draw your attention back to it. Verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, because God is love. From verse 8 there. And so here we see the source of love. And and we see that God is that standard. He is the source. He's the origin. Love is from God, again, because he is love. He's the fountain from which every stream finds its source. So we have to ask, if, if we want to know whether or not we are loving others well, what we need to do is compare our love to the standard. We need to compare ourselves to God's standard of love that he has established in his own nature. The only way for us to love others is to imitate the love of God that has existed throughout all of time. So let me, let me ask a question. Can, can we show love in or through an act of rebellion? Let me give an example. You'll hear people say things like, I divorced my wife because I fell in love with another woman. Is that love? Is abandoning or cheating on your wife with another woman? uh, Is that an act of love? Certainly not. Certainly not. Without question, the answer is no. Because true love has to correspond with God's character. Again, we need to reshape our understanding of love. It's not self-defined. It's not based on our own feelings or emotions. Our, Our understanding of love must be related to our understanding of God. God sets the standards, not us. Jonathan Lehman has a really helpful line in his book, uh, The Rule of Love. He says that the people will say they love love, but if they reject God, they do not really love love. Because in order for us to even know what love is in the first place, we need to know who God is. We need to know who this God is who stands outside of time, who stands outside of our realm, and is completely and utterly content in his own love sacrificially pouring out his love on the son. There's no selfishness in God. There's perfect selfless consideration of the other members of the Trinity and it's always been such. So true love finds its source in God himself. This means that if we want to know what love is, we must know God. Let's move on to our next vantage point from which we're going to to look at God's love and it's God's unrivaled love for mankind. God's unrivaled love for mankind. This is important to consider because when when we think of God's unrivaled love, we need to recognize that he is 
the best at showing love to human beings. This will help us as we're trying to self-define love for ourselves, because sometimes we think, oh, I know better than God. That's not the case. God has a fuller and a greater love for mankind than we could ever imagine. Sometimes we think that we know better than him, and we'll think, I have a better understanding of what love for human beings looks like, but that's not the case. Even if you think you have a a better understanding of what love uh, looks like between human beings, you need to recognize that God is the one who sets these standards. Let me suggest that our creator has a far better understanding of love than we do. Let me suggest that the origin of love has a better understanding of love than we do. Look at what God has to say about this matter. And and more than that, look at how God has demonstrated his own love. Back to 1 John 4. What we find in verses 9 and 10 is that God shows his unrivaled love for mankind through the incarnation, through the coming of Jesus. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here we find the proof of God's unrivaled care and kindness and steadfast love for human beings. God has demonstrated his love by sending his son into the world and by sending his son to be the propitiation for sins. So let me put this another way. Christ's coming and his death are two ways in which we can see the love of God for mankind. The incarnation in itself, the, the, the moment when God became a human being, that is a demonstration of God's care and kindness towards the creation. Because in his incarnation, he left the, the glorious life of heaven for humble service. He put aside the riches of God's eternal glory to live a life of poverty. He left the immediate presence of God, the place where God's love was most purely known so that he could dwell amongst men whose hearts were warped and their love was skewed. We've been singing a song throughout um, the Advent season here, uh, the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. There's a couple of lines from this, this hymn that pick up this theme perfectly. It says, come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end. He left the glories of heaven to taste our sadness. Leaving riches without number. Born within a cattle stall. Notice the contrast. Notice this this contrast between heaven and earth. For for human beings with, with no understanding of the other side of the equation, it's hard for us to really know the difference between heaven and earth. And yet, we we do get glimpses of this. We do have some, some natural opportunities to see the that love can be distra- uh, displayed by leaving riches and coming to a place of poverty. We see that stories about a professional athlete who who leaves, you know, the the riches to give back to a a neighborhood that's impoverished. 
You hear about Steph Curry leaving the, leaving the Oakland Hills and like making his way to East Oakland, giving back to kids who are dispossessed, pouring into a crime-ridden neighborhood. And that, that does stir within us a, a sense of appreciation, right? We like admire that sort of act for good reason. And yet, that sort of kindness is a drop in the bucket in comparison with the incarnation of Jesus. The beauty of Christ's love is that he gives up his own riches and his own comfort and ease in order to do good for others. This, this actually gives us a helpful understanding, a definition for love, if you will. Because what we see here is that at the heart of an act of love is this, this idea that I'm going to seek someone else's good through the means of, of sacrificing. I'm going to, to seek someone else's benefit, even if it affects my own well-being for, for the worse. So we know the story, though, that, that Christ's coming was only the beginning of his demonstration of, of love in the Incarnation. His entire mission gives us a broader picture, a, a clearer picture of his love. Remember, Christ comes and then he offers his life as a sacrifice, as a sacrifice for sins in order to unite us with God. As 1 John 4.10 says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember, Every act of love is rooted in this intention to do good for someone else, even if it costs you something. Even if it costs you something. And to, to think through what Christ is doing here, he is doing the ultimate act of good for someone else through the ultimate cost of, his, of himself. Because the ultimate good that you can do for anyone is to help them know God, to get them in contact with their creator. That's what Christ did through his sacrifice. And he did this ultimate good, getting people united with love itself, getting people united with God through the ultimate sacrifice, namely giving up his own body. There is no greater good that you can do for someone than to get that person closer to God and there is no greater sacrifice than to give up your own life. Christ does both. This is the same lesson that we see in the Bible's most famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love for the world was demonstrated by the fact that he sent his son as a sacrifice for sins in order to gather people into God's presence. Christ's coming and his dying demonstrate the depth of God's sacrificial love. Human beings benefit from the death of God and that's unfathomable. That is a portrait of God's love that we will never fully understand. So before we move on, I want us to think through this for a moment. When we look at the, the coming of Christ and the death of Christ... Does that tell us more about God's loveliness, God's capacity for love, or does it tell us more about our loveliness and our capacity to be loved? 
It's kind of an interesting question. Does this scenario of God sending his son to die for sins give us a bigger picture of God's love or our own inherent loveliness? Imagine with me for a moment that uh, the CEO of a company calls one of his employees into his office. Now, let's just imagine that the CEO is Elon Musk and uh, he's calling some random employee into his office. You know, it's random employee number 3,945 or something like that, right? He's got so many employees underneath him. And let's say this guy's name is Gus. And so Gus shows up and he sits down across from Elon Musk and Elon begins to stare directly into Gus's soul. Elon goes on to explain that he knows exactly what Gus has been doing. He knows that Gus has been cheating the company. He knows that he's set up some offshore accounts and he's been embezzling money. He knows all of it. He knows all the details. And then Elon looks directly into the eyes of Gus and he says, I know what you have done and I forgive you. You deserve to be fired from this position. You deserve to be charged. Legally, you should be forced to pay back the company. But tell you what, I am not going to let you keep your job. Or I'm going to let you keep your job and I am not going to bring this up to the authorities. Right? You're, You're not going to pay any sort of legal penalties for this. So you imagine the situation with me for a moment. So answer the question, does this tell us more about the loving kindness of Elon Musk or the inherent worth and loveliness of Gus? Sometimes when we come to John 3.16, we think, man, God loves me so much. I must be a really swell guy. And yet, I think we know the the reality of this situation. As a matter of emphasis, John 3.16 tells us far more about the loving kindness, the steadfast love of God than our own inherent loveliness. Because we are like Gus. Only our situation is far more worse. And the demonstration of God's love for us is far more breathtaking. We're not merely turning against our boss. We're turning our stiff necks against our creator. More than that, God's love is demonstrated by a willingness to part. It's not merely demonstrated by a willingness to part with some money. He's actually saying, I am going to send my son as a sacrifice for sins. For your sake. What a portrait of God's love in the person of Christ. Our first reaction when seeing the love of God through the person of Christ ought not to be, man, I am so special. Our our reaction ought to be, look at this God who for whatever reason desires to bring me into his presence and he is willing to, to pay the cost of sending his son in order to die in my place so that I might inherit the eternal glories of heaven. This makes no sense. That ought to be our reaction. The gospel tells us far more about the depth and breadth of the love of God than our own inherent loveliness. But let's be clear, this this doesn't forego the reality that God has made us with value. God does love us. He did create us after all. But 
But as a matter of emphasis, we need to see this picture clearly. The reason that we are lovely is because God has chosen to make us lovely. Because that's the story of the gospel. God making ashes into beauty. God making that which is unlovable, lovable. That's what Christ has done for us. You see, if we are indifferent to the love of God, we need to be reminded of what God's love actually is. If we are tempted into thinking that this world offers all of the satisfactions that I need, then we need to shine the light of God's love into our dark hearts, which have grown indifferent. You see, the better our portrait of God and of his kindness, the better our affections will line up. So with that said, so far we have sought to fight against our own indifference and our own apathy by looking at God's love specifically as we've looked backwards into history. We've, we've looked at God in eternity past and perfect love that existed there. We've also looked at God's love for humanity as demonstrated in Christ's first coming. But as we continue this morning, we need to look at God's love from one more vantage point. Let's now look at God's unbuffered love in heaven. So let's, let's turn our gaze forward. We are looking forward to a day when we will enter into the pure presence of God, where we will experience the unfiltered and the unbuffered love of God. That's what we're looking forward to. Throughout scripture, we find depictions of this moment, this, this moment where God will break into our reality, his love will be poured out within our hearts in its fullness, And we will be able to spend the rest of eternity in that realm. So 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13, speaks to this exact idea. So turn with me there. 1 Corinthians 13. What we see here is a depiction of God's love. And uh, this is known as, you know, the love chapter, basically. (laughs) Uh, But notice what it says about God's love. It says, for now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Again, right now there is a buffer between us and God. There's a buffer between our experience of God's love in the present moment and and the purest form of God's love in the heavenly realms. But one day that buffer will be removed. One day the partial experience will become full, as Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 13. There's a dimly lit mirror that we're looking into right now. We're trying to make out Jesus' face through this dimly lit mirror, but one day we will see him face to face. Right now, though, we still remain in the dimly lit room. Right now, we're, we're trying to look through a haze at the love of God. And we can experience the love of God in in different ways, in different forms, like we've just done. We can look back to the love of God in eternity past. We can look back to the way God has shown us his love in in the person of Jesus. Even now, we have an experiential knowledge of God's love. Remember, 
Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, we do have an active and an experiential knowledge of God's love in the current moment. But, there is a, there is a hindrance where we're unable to experience it in its fullest and purest form. There's a buffer. If you've ever tried to listen to music on an FM radio station, uh, you know what I mean. It's kind of funny, I have to say, if you have ever done this, because a lot of people haven't spent much time on an FM radio. Working with young adults, I kind of know this, right? You talk about FM radios and you get blank stares. Um, But the the concept here is that there's a radio tower that sends out radio waves. (laughs) And you have to be within the the parameters of that that radio tower's radio waves in order to listen to the, the, the radio station, right? And so if you're trying to listen to music, you want to be within those, those parameters and you, you know that you're getting to the outskirts of the parameters when? when? Like when you start to hear static. You start to hear static or you hear like interruptions from other radio stations. You're going, wait, I, wanted to, I thought I was listening to this song and now all of a sudden I'm hearing like some song that's in a totally different genre showing up. I don't like country. Don't, don't put that in my radio station, right? But there's like this static that's interrupting our experience of the pure thing. Right, the radio station, if you're within distance, you get to hear it purely. But once you move outside of its extremities, you, you can't hear it anymore because it's filled with static. Or at the best, your, your experience of that station is limited because it's cutting in and out. Unfortunately, our experience of God's love is similar to that. It's similar because we don't have this pure connection with the love of God right now in our realm. We have connections to it. We do see the work of Christ on the cross. We do have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, filling us with love. But our experience of that love is hindered. In our current day-to-day existence, our current day-to-day experience, we hear static. We don't have a clear access to the signal. Because, again, there's a buffer. There's, there's something impeding our access to the signal. That exposure to God's love. So, as Paul puts it, we're looking into a glass dimly. Right? We're looking into the mirror, but there, there's, there's shade. We can't see it purely. There's not enough light. And so we ask, where is this static coming from? Where does this static come from? Why, why is there a buffer? What is that buffer? I think when we think about it, we can recognize that the static comes from a couple of different directions. But at the end of the day, most of it is rooted in the fall of humanity. The moment Adam and Eve ate from the garden, uh, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, that static showed up. Because what happened right after they did so? They hid. They hid. And so as God is walking through the garden in the cool of the morning, they're hiding. Because their experience of God's love all of a sudden was hindered. There's a buffer that showed up. So also our sin hinders us from experiencing God's love in its fullness. 
Our sin results in us feeling indifferent towards the very source of God, uh, uh, God's love itself, right? We, we grow indifferent to love itself and we, we chase down counterfeit loves because our hearts are corrupt now by the effects of sin. So in comes the static. We have dulled our hearts into finding pleasures in dull beauties and weak signals of love. Our sin hinders us also from showing God's love to other people, right? We sometimes are the static that stands in the way of God showing his love to someone. Because remember, we're created in God's image. We are meant to be image bearers of God, which means we are meant to represent God's love to other people. And sometimes, unfortunately, because we are affected by sin, we can stand in the way of that signal of God's love going out to other people. We're the static sometimes, We can be a a demonstration that God's love is not shining forth freely and purely. Sometimes we're able to, to demonstrate God's love, but unfortunately we aren't able to do that all the time. So too, our sin causes static in the signal in that we are far too easily satisfied in the things of this world. We can also look at the fact that um, this static comes from the broken world around us. You see, our sin has not only affected us, it's not only affected our own hearts, but it's affected the entire created order. The, The world in which we dwell has been affected by the fall. Right after Adam and Eve sin, what does God do? He curses the ground even. Thorns and thistles are now gonna grow from the ground because of your sin. In other words, there is a corruption that has actually affected the created order itself. Romans 8 speaks to this type of reality where he says the creation itself is groaning in anticipation for Christ's final redemption. Right? The fall has affected every aspect of life. So this affects our own physical bodies. Like we feel aches and pains. I'm a young guy and I already know my body hurts. And you know, it's like when I say that, people just kind of smirk at me and they go, wait until you're 16. I go, I know, I can't, I, I, I'm not looking forward to that day. Because I was like one of those kids, when I, just unwise. And for whatever reason, my parents let me like skateboard. And I was like skateboarding half pipes as like an elementary school kid. And I didn't stop doing that for far too long. My body was asking me to stop way earlier than when I actually did. And so I kind of already feel the pain of life. Um, and I know when I'm 60, it will be much worse. You don't, worse, you don't have to remind me of that. Um, I know it's going to be rough. And, and these sorts of experiences that we have when we wake up in the morning and we have aches and pains, it's just this subtle reminder that there is a static in this signal. We're thinking, man, I am so tired of having to sleep in this way because of my back hurts all the time. <laughs> it's a hindrance to God's love. To think in a more significant or more severe ways, more difficult uh, aspects of this world. There's death, there's sickness, there are disasters, there is suffering, there is loss. And all of these things can leave us feeling as though the mirror that we're looking in is growing dimmer and dimmer. Right, in that moment when you, when you find out that your loved one 
is going to pass away or has already passed away, it can leave you asking questions of God, why? The moment you receive back the news from from the doctor and it's not going to go your way, in that moment you're left wondering why, how could a loving God fill in the blank? When you hear about what happened in Kentucky last night, city, or over the weekend, cities just leveled. When you hear about destruction, it causes pain in our own hearts. That's the barrier. That's the buffer we're talking about. The created order is waiting for the revelation of Christ to come back. It's waiting for the final redemption of Jesus because in that moment, the world in which we live will be transformed. And so as we're entering into this season of Advent, as we're walking through it, we need to be reminded to look for God's love because sometimes we have to actively look for it. We can't just passively wait for God to show it to us. We have to actively look for it. We need to go back to the incarnation and look at what Christ has done for us. We need to go back to eternity past and just dwell on what that would have been like for God's love to be poured out in its abundance on the Son of God through the Holy Spirit. We need to also turn our gaze forward and look at this moment when we will enter into his presence, the buffer will be removed, the static will disappear, and we will see God as he is. We will experience his love as we should. Earlier we spent time talking about the fact that God's love was perfect before he ever made the world. And as we're looking forward to the world to come, Ponder this. We, in some mysterious way, shape, or form, are going to enter into that Trinitarian love. I don't pretend to know what this is going to look like, but what I do know is that we are united in Christ. As Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are somehow united with Jesus. And so when we enter into that eternal realm of heaven and God's love is poured onto the Son of God, we will be united in that experience. I mean, what what a reality to look forward to. Last week, Phil spoke about um, this idea that, that our joy in the eternal realm will increase moment by moment throughout all of eternity. And we have to think that the same will be true in regards to our own experience of God's love. When we enter into heaven, the realm of God's love, we will, we will be in a stage where we're entering into the eternal God's presence as finite beings. We will never grow bored of God's love. We will never have enough capacity to be able to take in God's love. The only one who can do that is Christ because he is infinite. And so we're just left overflowing I don't know if we will grow necessarily in heaven uh, in a physical sense. Like I, I kind of doubt people will be like working out at the gym in order to look like Greek gods. But, but I do think our affections will have some sort of capacity for growing. And as time moves on into this infinite scape, we will grow in our ability to appreciate and experience the love of God. God is infinite. His love is infinite. 
And so we will have all of eternity to try to get a hold of that love. You know, this weekend I was reading a sermon that was preached in 1738 by a pastor named Jonathan Edwards. Uh, The sermon is on 1 Corinthians 13 and its title is Heaven is a World of Love. And as I was reading through this, I was tempted to scrap everything I just preached and just read you a sermon. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. It was written in 1738. It would be not a good experience for any of you or for me because it was very long. Um, But as as you read through this sermon, I'm just thinking, man, he says this so well. So instead of reading the whole sermon to you, let me just read like a couple sentences as we're closing. Here's what he says as he's contemplating the world of love for which we are destined. He says, there in heaven, this glorious God is manifest and shines forth in full glory in beams of love. There the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight. Enough for all to drink out and to swim in, yes, so as to overflow the world, as it were, with a deluge of love. <laughs> That's well said. There is a day that we, were, that we are looking forward to where we will experience a downpour of God's love and the fountains will overflow. Our hearts will overflow. We, we do not have enough capacity to experience it as we should. It must be the case that eternity will not be enough time for us to fully appreciate the love of God. And so every moment, moment by moment, we will be enraptured with what he has done for us, bringing us into his eternal presence where the eternal love of God is poured out on Christ and then through implication on you and I. What a day to look forward to. Let us not be consumed by the counterfeit loves of this world. Let us not be bought into this idea that we can experience things on earth that will satisfy us in ways that only that eternal reality will be able to satisfy us. The virtual reality will not do it. The, the, the clicks on our phone will not do it. We are waiting for a moment where we will experience God. Let's pray. Father, we do look forward to that moment where our hearts will be full. I hope even right now our hearts are full, but even if we have any glimmer of of fullness within ourselves right now towards your love, it is a mere shadow to what will happen when we see you as you are. Without the static, without the buffers, without any sort of interruption or hindrance, We look forward to that moment and we rejoice knowing that it will come and that we will be able to experience your love as we were made to do so. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.